Five-step plan in order to convert the nations. Number one, die to yourself. Number two, complete docility to the Holy Spirit. Number three, empty yourself completely for the love and salvation of another. And you're like, well, that that's not five easy steps. I was like, no, no, it's five steps, but it ain't easy. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your seasonal Catholic podcast on evangelization and discipleship. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined by Dave Terrible Hotel Wall Art Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? <laughs> I'm good, except for the Terrible Hotel Wall Art. Yeah. Do you know why? It, I mean, it's funny that you say this, uh-huh. because I'm kind of on a rampage against modern art. Okay. I just am upset with modern art right now, because what about- I'm, it's coming into my life a lot right now. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Like the nonsense modern art of like, like, like the one guy takes a toilet bowl and puts, this is modern art. A little bit. I I, I don't want to say because I don't want to offend anyone, but like, let me just say that my work (laughs) puts me in touch with a lot of modern art at this point. Yeah. And it is entirely Christian and entirely utilitarian if that's possible. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of impressionists? Yeah. I don't, I I mean, I, I like them. Can I tell you what G.K. Chesterton said about it? Oh my gosh, you are becoming. Here we go. Here we go. He said, You're going to be. He said, The problem with realists is they paint a tomato and they say, Look, here's a tomato that you've seen. And he goes, But the brilliance of the impressionist is, Let me show you a tomato and you've never seen one before. (laughs) (laughs) I love Chesterton. All right. Anywho. Yeah. So we're finishing this document. We're (laughs) finishing one of the most most practical and important documents uh, of our time and a document that had profound effect on me even in high school so so i was 14 when i read this and it had a profound effect on me and to the point where i would walk streets trying to encounter the poor where i would be leaving early for school to see the poor people that were living like on the side of the road on my way to school doing things that were probably i shouldn't have done at that age but it was like a very serious it had a very serious impact on me that like, this is what it means to be a Christian. Yeah. And I think the more we serve the poor directly, um, I think it, the encounter with the poor, which is what mother Teresa gave back to the church. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, you've built wonderful systems that serve the poor, but now you don't serve the poor. These systems do. And the famously father Benedict Groeschel and Andrew Apostoli, the two founders of the uh, Franciscan friars of the renewal, they took her example and they said, you know, the austerity of the Capuchin Franciscans has given us these incredible institutions that serve the poor. He's like, but here I am in some back office of a food pantry and I don't encounter them. So that was always their thing. Like we will live amongst them and we will serve the poorest of the poor. And that's like, honestly, there comes a point where I feel like we're always trying to justify our fancy lifestyle. And if we just live simply, right, live simply like Christ asked us to, I think we will have a lot more encounters with the authentically needful poor, and it will have revolutions in our own spiritual I'm, life. I'm surprised. I, I'm glad you said this. I mean, people are not going to like this. Why? Well, because I do feel of I feel a very serious call to poverty, which is not what this is about. But I but I do want to stay on this a little bit. But I am afraid of it. I fear poverty. Yeah, and and so I think that that's a pretty common thing. Lady poverty is a harsh mistress. <laughs> she is. But I can tell you this that 
let me just tell you a little witness here yeah. that I read Happier You Poor by Father Thomas Dubé, mm-hmm. which will literally, it's a dangerous book. That's the yeah. way I would say it. it's a dangerous book. Like you, as a father, I was like, should I just sell everything right now? And we'll live on the road preaching the gospel as a family, <laughs> like begging for, okay. Because it's so inspiring. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and also it's very much line in the sand type conversation. But I realized that like I was, I was a fearful of it. You know, I was fearful of that kind of poverty. And in a lot of ways, the tragedy of my life in the last 15 years, it's like the Holy spirit was like, look, you can try to save your life, but I'm going to, I'm going to impoverish you one way or another. And I don't mean that funny. I mean that like, I, it's not, I never worry about being able to buy food for my family, but I, I could not get through the day without Jesus Christ, you know? Yeah. And that is, that's poverty. That's what, that's what true spiritual poverty is. Yeah. I, that's why I'm so crazy about it, but. That's also why you're so excited because you know, you're going to get the kingdom of heaven. Boom. Boom. Yeah. I, uh, my love for poverty grew from uh, the founder of Franciscan University, Sumo Father uh, Michael Scanlon. He was book. not the founder. He was the founder of Franciscan University. Oh, okay. All right. It used to be called the College of Steubenville. Good job. There you go. Uh, but he said- This is why it's not fun to be his friend. I, it's, I get it. I get it. Uh, <laughs> but he, in his book, Let the Fire Fall, he talks about his love of St. Francis. Yeah. And uh, this is actually what I shared at the last youth conference. He has this great line where he's like, the reason why I love St. Francis is his whole, he was all in. And he has this line where he says, if you stole his food, he fasted. If you beat him, he rejoiced. If you killed him, he was a martyr. And then the line was, he was literally untouchable by this world. Yeah. And I remember thinking that Lady Poverty and yeah. her embrace of his life yeah. is what enabled him to be untouchable. Right. It was a, such a sign of contradiction that all of a sudden, like in a very real way, he was the most free person who ever lived. Yeah. Right? I know. He was. He absolutely was. And I think this is a big thing with our missionary activity, right? I met a guy once who was a speaker who refused to speak publicly about things he was deeply convicted of because he had a donor to his organization that said, I will pull my donation. If you talk about this That's sick and he's, and he, so he's like, well, what can I do? I got to feed my family. And I remember looking at this person with the widest eyes being like, and you are no longer a hero of mine. Right. I am now done with you. Right. But like, there is this thing of like, go along to get along and it can become very intoxicating when you're in a, you don't mean it to be, but you're in a bad environment. How many people have joined parish staffs or how many priests have, you know, they gave their whole life over to the priesthood only to be swarming with like diocesan careerists. And they're like, Oh my goodness, this is not what I thought it would be. Right. And it's like, okay, you have two choices. You can embrace in a real way, lady poverty and engage and be a missionary. And they will steal your food, they will beat you up, and they will martyr you. <laughs> like, they will. Or you can go along to get along and do marginal good here and there because you're, micro, you're micromanaging the Holy Spirit. You know, this is a great segue because, we're, like, we're going to end the document talking about missionary spirituality. Yeah. And uh, so we're going to end this document here. And, and basically the last two things we're going to talk about, uh, the, the first is, is chapter six. And that is leaders and workers in the missionary apostolate. And we're going to go pretty quick here. Yeah. But he basically goes through different roles in the church. He addresses bishops. He addresses priests, missionary institutes, religious life, and calls them all 
to the mission of the Redeemer, calls them all to the missionary mandate. And, and basically what you get is this idea of no one is free from this. Some people might have special vocation to certain kinds of evangelization. Yeah. Like, for instance, we're both fathers, right? Mm-hmm. We have a special vocation to evangelize our children, okay? But one of us might be called to foreign missions. There's a special vocation. But that, that's not where missionary activity stops, right? We have to remember every single person in the church is called to the mission of Christ the Redeemer. And I, this is why I always say that my dream is for a bishop to come along who will say, well, every Monday you do report to work, but we lock the door. And from the janitor all the way up to the bishop, we're going to go and work the streets, We're going to go encounter people and we're going to go do this. And when they say, why, why would we do that? Are you crazy? Then they would say, because it it will remind us what we're supposed to be doing Tuesday through Friday. That's my dream. Bishops, you bishops who are listening out there, all the bishops, (laughs) all the bishops. There's a, a wonderful quote before we go on in paragraph 61, which introduces the chapter. These include individuals, groups, and communities. A typical example is the local church at Antioch, which after being evangelized becomes an evangelizing community, which sends missionaries to others. Acts 13, two and three. The early church experiences her mission as a community task while acknowledging in her midst certain special envoys or missionaries devoted to the Gentiles, such as Paul and Barnabas. So it's just what he said. Like, yes, the whole community needs to be engaged in missionary work. So pastors who are listening to us or DREs, like, you need to get your church as a church invested in mission. Yeah. Like I'm telling you this, it does set your people on fire where they're like, wow, look at all the good that we're doing. It might not set the whole church because they might be clueless, but it'll set a large group of people. The people who are informed, like, Oh my goodness. Like when we started going to the prisons, it went from one prison to six prisons. Yeah. Like it's crazy. The amount of kinetic uh, activity of all this stuff. And it it commonly happens with youth ministries. Like a youth minister will come in, get all fired up and get the youth all involved. And all of a sudden the parish is like, Whoa, they're they're offering something. And then it'll infect the rest of the parish. Yeah. You often will have youth ministry before you have adult faith formation. Yeah. And then once you have both, you're a wonderful customer of Ascension Press. (laughs) (laughs) The last thing I want to say about, uh, about that chapter in paragraph 71, it's labeled all the laity are missionaries by baptism. And, and the only point I want to make about this is that there is a weird sense. And we've talked about this extensively. Yeah of like that Catholics want a badge or something like that, or, or a training or a diploma. Yeah. And here's your certificate. And yeah. And evangelization evangelist by baptism literally means like a three-year-old baby that was baptized is called to evangelize. Right. I mean, well, obviously they're not in the age of reason, but if they were like, (laughs) if they were able to by some mystical experience, but I'm sure I was evangelizing at three. Oh, Um, I bet you you were, but just, you know, just as a point that like, some of you may think like that the answer to what we're saying right now is, oh, I better find a class and learn how to evangelize, or I better read a book on evangelization, or I better do this. And that's good, but don't let that stop you from doing it right now. Yeah, you start evangelizing now, and then you take classes and all that stuff to hone your skills and, and to live your charisms. Also, form those basic evangelizing communities, right? If you do the minister from the place of community, minister as a family. For us, I, I'll tell you right now, the best way to evangelize is as a family with your home. If you're a homeowner, have young adults in your home. Do it weekly. Do it every other week. Do it once a month. 
hosts stuff because people are looking for places to go with families. I literally got the heebie-jeebies right there. Did you see? Because you don't. You don't. Because I'm so afraid. (laughs) All right. In in chapter eight, my favorite chapter, he talks about missionary spirituality. Uh, I think probably the most important of all of the document. I think one of the things that we often make mistakes about is we put technical ability over spirituality often. And, and that's a really great way to judge most of the church. If someone puts technical capability above, above like morality or yeah. just docility to the Holy spirit run from that person. Right. Yeah. That's more of a Buddhism type thing. It's more of a Hinduism, like learning the technique yeah. of something. That's not what we're about. This is all about missionary spirituality. And he says, uh, this this epic line, right? It's called being led by the spirits in paragraph 87. This spirituality is expressed, first of all, by a life of complete docility to the spirit. It commits us to being molded from within by the spirit so that we may become ever more like Christ. It is not possible to bear witness to Christ without reflecting his image which is made alive in us by grace and the power of the spirit. I love that quote so much. I couldn't love it more. Docility to the Holy spirit. Let me ask you, how does one live a life of complete docility to the spirit? I'm glad you asked Gomer. Well, you're welcome. (laughs) And let's go back to mother Teresa of Calcutta. Okay. So I learned this from the missionaries of charity. One of the things mother Teresa would talk about often is generosity. Mm. And she said, this was in Trinidad in the Missionaries of Charity convent that I was staying at. Uh, the, the mother superior there said, everyone outside of the Missionaries of Charity misunderstand what she means by generosity because they see her being so wonderful to the poor. They think generosity means to the poor. But anytime Mother Teresa talks about generosity, she was talking about generosity to God. And so I said, well, what does that mean? And she said, well, when I feel like I'm supposed to pray, when the Holy Spirit tells me to pray, I can either be miserly and say a quick blessing, or I can be generous and I can pray as long as I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to pray. And I thought, and that was a converting moment for me mm-hmm. because I do feel deep desires in my heart and I respond in the least possible way I can to feel, fulfill those deep desires because I'm miserly with God, but I want to yeah. be generous and docility to the Holy Spirit. It works like it's little things. And if you're faithful to that docility in little things, it expands and expands and expands and expands. Yeah. So I'll like feel in a prompting to like pray the rosary. Yeah. And so I'll be like, wow, just a decade. Yeah. That's a, that's a rosary, right? Come on. But I'll know in the back of my mind, like you can do more than that. You can definitely do it. But but I'm so busy and YouTube isn't going to watch itself. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. Complete docility to the Holy spirit. Next is, Uh, intimate communion with Christ, paragraph 88. We cannot understand or carry out this mission unless we refer it to Christ as the one who was sent to evangelize. St. Paul describes Christ's attitude, and of course, it's the great hymn of the early church. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So he's saying this mindset is yours in Christ. If you want it, it's yours. I love that. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on 
a cross. Just so you know, in, in Roman legal system, death on the cross was called the slave's punishment, Ooh. right? Yeah, the servile punishmento. I, I made that last part up. But you did? No, it is really called that. The slave's punishment. I just can't remember. How yeah, but the punishment, I was like, ooh. Right, it's this total self-emptying, which leads to Christ uh, experiencing a full human condition. Now think about people you've loved into the church. It's a full self-emptying. You would oh, yeah. do anything for them to bring them to God. That's why that works. Yeah. Right? It's like, what's the bulletproof five-step plan in order to convert the nations? Number one, die to yourself. Number two, complete docility to the Holy Spirit. Number three, empty yourself completely for the love and salvation of another. And you're like, well, that that's not five easy steps. I was like, right. no, no, it's five steps, but it ain't easy. <laughs> I, you know, there was a there was a guy who we used to order pizza from this place and we would, you know, have it delivered. And it was also the place that like, if I was doing a staff event at, at our parish, we would order pizza from there. Yeah. So I would see him all the time, you know, and we've always been like, we tip really big. Cause yeah. I always think like, man, I was so lucky. Like people, like I've been hired to do things that are very easy. I don't have to deliver pizzas or anything like that. You know, yeah. it's like, so we would always tip really big. And, and like he, tells his testimony now he, he came into the church and he's like dave van vickle tipped me into the into the catholic church <laughs> and and i always say like you have to tell the rest of the story because the truth is is that like just in those one minute encounters we formed a relationship and like started like he started to realize like what was going on with our family like with my children with disabilities and he would share a little bit about his family and why he was like you know delivering pieces after working all day and we got really close and it was very much like a real relationship of total self-emptying uh between both of us between both of us and and it's it's a real thing it's a real yeah. thing okay going off the poverty thing listen to this in 88 the missionary is required to quote renounce himself and everything that up to this point he considered his own and to make himself everything to everyone and that's a quote from second vatican council's mission agendas right? yeah and by the way this is after in the document he tells everyone to be a missionary. Yeah. <laughs> so he, when he says the missionary, it's oh, all of you. That's a good and point. All of us. Because I keep thinking, right? You think keep thinking. Well, that's for the CFR full time. Yeah, yeah, that's for the them. CFRs are the missionaries of charity. This he does by a poverty which sets him free for the gospel, overcoming attachment to the people and things about him, so that he may become a brother to those to whom he is sent, and thus bring them to Christ the Savior. This is the goal of mission spirituality and he quotes first corinthians 9 22 to 23 to the weak i have become weak i have become all things to all men that i might by all means save some i do it all for the sake of the gospel <laughs> I love it. yeah and in paragraph 89 i think it's the hardest uh it's the hardest part of this it's labeled loving the church and humanity as jesus did loving the church and humanity is easy loving the church and humanity as jesus did is the hardest thing right. on earth and it's very very important especially those of you who are employed by the church to realize he is not in any way talking about a feeling here mm. this is not about feeling a love it's about zeal meaning you feel an urgency for souls yeah and you love them 
Yeah. You, you're not going to feel warm fuzzies a lot of times when you're working for the church. Yeah. It's funny. The words zeal and passionate have flipped. Zeal is a pejorative term. Passionate is the praiseworthy term. Interesting. Right. But it's actually the exact opposite in Catholic virtue ethics. Passionate means of your passions, right? right? This, this thing that has just wells up within me. It may be good. It may be bad, whatever, but zeal is a virtue. I am zealous for the law, zealous for the Lord, zealous for these things. And so zeal is directed passion, whereas being passionate might just be like, I'm, I'm going crazy. I'm on overdrive here. And so zeal for souls is a commitment to them at all costs, right? Don't you want to be loved that way by yeah. your wife, yeah. by your kids? Like I often tell my kids, I wish you were as excited when I come home as my dog is, because if ever that happened, I'd be like, oh, I am loved. I am loved. My dog yields his existence. Ah, oh my gosh. Right. Me like too. imagine if we had that right hunger and thirst for righteousness sake, the zeal for righteousness that it's like hunger and thirst, like starving people. All they think about is food, right? All we think about is justice and righteousness. Just so you know, my children cheer when I come home. Do they, they literally jump up and down and cheer, man? You got some good kids. You're, you're a good dad. My children are like, oh, it's great. definitely not because I'm a good dad, but, my, my but I'll like, try. Oh, I'll great. Try. Let, let's start cleaning before dad starts yelling. Mom, that guy's here. <laughs> Mom, that guy who brings us food, he's here again. He won't leave. <laughs> he, said, he says uh, in paragraph 89, the missionaries urge on by zeal for souls, a zeal inspired by Christ's own charity, which takes the form of concern tenderness, compassion, openness, availability, and interest in people's problems. Jesus's love is very deep. He who knew what was in man loved everyone by offering them redemption and suffered when it was rejected. I'm telling you, you're not going to feel it most of the time. Mm. I didn't have feelings for most of the people that I tried to evangelize. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes they, they start adversarial, right? I mean, how many evangelizing relationships have you had that started adversarial? Oh, yeah. Maybe 40%? Yeah. I'd say, yeah. Right. I mean, it, it oftentimes you feel the opposite. And it's really important, particularly in the re-evangelization of America and Europe, to realize, like, people are, they're difficult. Yeah. They want what they want from the church and nothing of else. what, yeah. yeah, nothing else. And so it's hard. So here's a great story. This woman, Roe v. Wade, was overturned and... There's a bunch of pro-life women who were marching in and celebrating in D.C., I think in front of the Supreme Court. Okay. And then a whole bunch of pro-choice women counter-protested. Right. And it got real ugly. Okay. And there was a woman who was in, a, a, a young adult who was in the front line. Uh, I think there was barricades separating them. And they're, everyone's just screaming at each other and all this stuff. And this one woman is just screaming, this pro-choice are screaming at this girl. Are the pro-lifers screaming? Yeah, yeah, everyone's arguing, okay, right? It okay. like got out of control, okay. right? And she is just looking at this woman who is screaming obscenities at her and all this stuff. And she just said, I love you, God loves you, and there is healing. I love you. And she did that for an hour. And at the end, the woman was in tears. And it turns out she was post-abortive. Of course. And she, she you know, this was her self-justification her yeah, system of course, yeah. justifying her own abortion and all this stuff and she had this incredible moment where then they went off to talk about christ and forgiveness do you do you remember when you and i used to sidewalk council together and i would say and i would say gomer watch this and i would walk up and i'd say sally i i love you i want you to know i love you and that jesus loves you how angry they would get yeah so angry it was shocking the yeah. sidewalk for the, oh, yeah, the you, I've never, yeah i've never seen anger like that in my yeah life. oh yeah that was a Th that was hatred anger. So think about this. Um, the missionary is a person of charity, 
in order to proclaim all of his. So, so many of you are listening to this and you're like, well, yeah, well, yeah. And it's like, okay, but would people describe you as a person of charity in order to proclaim to all his brothers and sisters that they are loved by God and are capable of loving, right? Okay. There's that capable of loving. That's that human side of it. He must show love towards all giving his life for his neighbor. The missionary is the universal brother bearing in himself, the church's spirit her openness to and interest in all peoples and individuals, especially the least and the poorest of his brethren. And as a wonderful last two sentences, as such, he overcomes barriers and divisions of race, caste, or ideology. He is a sign of God's love in the world, a love without exclusion or partiality. Do you, I, I hope people realize that last line. Love breaks barriers. I mean, it really, really does. I, I can count how, I mean, I can, I can, I wish we could have him on an interview. How many people were so closed up like a rock and their heart was like a stone. And honestly, through mostly my family and my wife. Yeah. I remember my, my priest, uh, who's my closest friend, Father John Sweeney, who I've talked about a bunch of times. My wife would be leaving adoration and we would look out the window and she would be like talking to church ladies in the parking lot. And we would be laughing because they were the most difficult women in our parish and we would be like oh my gosh what is that woman saying to amber and then like we'd be watching and then all of a sudden they would hug and i'd be like what she's nasty like how could she how did she do that you know i'd be so shocked but it's true love breaks down all barriers and all i mean it really does really yeah. does. and the last thing that he adds in 89 finally like christ he must love the church this love even to the point of giving one's life is a focal point for him only profound love for the church can sustain the missionary zeal his daily pressure as saint paul says is anxiety for all the churches for every missionary fidelity to christ cannot be separated from fidelity to the church and i have met people who maybe they are really good at the charity thing maybe they're not zeals for souls but they do the charity thing they see themselves as a universal brother they're all about building bridges and overcoming barriers and all that stuff but man, it does not seem like the love of the church is there. They want to overthrow and undermine the church because they view it as stodgy or whatever. And maybe it is. Maybe there are places in the church that are crusty and lifeless and awful. But here's the deal. Becoming that universal brother and loving the church with that same I heard a guy say this to me so clearly. He said, it's often sometimes forgotten that in our zeal for saving souls, we forget that also applies to parish staffs. And he was talking about himself and how he was like, just put like basically run over, over and over again by priests and people alike and no one cared for him. And so he left. And when he left, it was really hard for him not to also leave the church, you know, in a, in a real way, um, because we disregarded him and it was like, ah, it's okay. So we're focused on a mission, but we have no problem stepping on the necks of people in the church who are trying to do the church's job, but we can't separate Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So why aren't we? We're going to take a break now, a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk to you about the Pope's call to missionaries to be saints. Okay, here's the gut check right here, because if nothing changes, nothing changes. Do you want to be holy? And do you want to be an instrument of renewal in this world? And if so, do you believe it's possible? Do you know what it looks like? Do you know where to begin? Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. My name is Father Mark Mary. I'm a Franciscan friar of the Renewal. And I wrote a book called Habits for Holiness. And it pulls from over 800 years of Franciscan tradition, wisdom, and experience 
of radical and total discipleship in the midst of the world, but in a way which begins with little steps and works not only for religion, not only for priests, but for everybody. The change you desire is possible. The conversion you desire is possible. The renewal you desire is possible. The healing you desire is possible. And it begins with little steps. So to guide you on your way and to help you make the next best step of renewal in your life, I'd invite you to pick up a copy of my book, Habits for Holiness. God bless you. Welcome back to Every Knee Shall Bow, everyone's seasonal. Ew, that voice was terrible. I know, I know. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. That's what I think. I took my kids to a professional soccer game. Cool. Yeah, the Dynamos, Houston Dynamos. Cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. My son is so into soccer. This is what he does. He plays FIFA on the Xbox, okay. and he only does the English Premier League. Then he writes down all that. I saw him. He had a folder and all these pieces of paper. I go, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, uh, memorizing all the players and their positions on all the on all of the English Premier League soccer teams. He has them all scattered out in their positions on the field. And then and then he does an hour of working out from <laughs> from Jocko Willing's Mark's mission book. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then he plays an hour of soccer before it hits ten o'clock and gets surface of the sun hot in Texas. That's my son all on his own. I don't do that. I don't even get up. I just stay in, in bed all day and I just watch YouTube videos yeah, right. and I do email from my bed. But it's a good thing because maybe maybe he'll be your retirement. That's what I keep saying to my son, Sam, yeah. about boxing. Like he doesn't have to be great. It just has to be an Uncle Polly situation mm -hmm. like with Rocky yeah. where I can live off of him for the rest yeah. of my life. Yeah, that's awesome. Or he could actually be the Uncle Polly who gets power of attorney and drains their bank account for you. <laughs> Right. This is Lady Poverty, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're back, and we're going to wrap up. Dave, what is a true missionary? So paragraph 90, he tells us, he says, the true missionary is... Hey, 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 say it with a little more excitement. So paragraph 90, he tells us, you're called to be a saint. Well, it's hard. Boom, 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 it's boom. hard. You sound like the Eeyore. The true missionary <laughs> The true missionary is the saint. That, now I sound like a, something that was produced, right? It's a saint, he <laughs> Uh, he says, the call to mission derives of its nature from the call to holiness. A missionary is really such only if he commits himself to the way of holiness. <laughs> is that not, I mean, better be, we better be careful here. Holiness must be called a fundamental presupposition and an irreplaceable condition for everyone in fulfilling the mission of salvation in the church. So just real quick, he tells us that every single person has to be a missionary. Then, <laughs> then he goes on. And what does he say next? He said, you, you have to embrace poverty and you simplicity have to embrace life. poverty. So that means everybody. <laughs> and now he's saying every missionary has to be a saint, hmm. right? So this is the universal call to holiness. This is straight out of Vatican II. Yeah. It is straight out of the fact that the kingdom of God builds in our hearts first and spills forth into the world and it spills forth in apostolic activity this is the soul of the apostolate mm -hmm. that we've talked about uh, constantly on the show and this is why saints have wakes of souls with them in yeah. heaven miles and miles and miles long one of the things that uh, my one of my best buds uh brian jones doing funeral ministry um, at our church. He's a liturgist, right? What does that mean? Oh, okay. Yeah. He does the funerals. He, okay. the liturgy, he sets it all up, but he meets with the families. Oh, okay. So he's not the sacristan setting up for the mass. He's okay. the guy with the families and, and working with them. And he, he tells me like the people who are not devout in their faith, like you can tell, like 
that no one knows. Like, I guess we're going to do a funeral thing here at St. Anthony's. He sometimes came to church here. He's like, the majority of funerals are sad, not because the guy is dead, but because like no one cares. They're small, barely anyone shows up and they're not filled with with Catholicism, even if it's a funeral mass, like no one knows what to do. No one knows what to say. No one knows why they're there. And he goes, but the crazy thing is the people who are devout Roman Catholics on average have big funerals where people know why they're there. Oh, right. Man. And he's like, and it is a, it, it is a celebration of life. Right. But it's not why they're there. They're there to worship Jesus Christ in the Eucharist right. in memoriam of this person. Right. Right. And it's awesome. And he says, you can see the difference between people who live their faith yeah. and those who don't, even just to speak crudely, by the size of people who come to their funerals. Right. Because people will come, and when you see the joy and the love and the and the Christian zeal, people will take off of work to go to those kind of funerals, right? Yeah. It's huge. It's a it's a game changer, right? And it, it think like you think about that, like at the time of at the end of your life, right? Obviously, there are people who can be hidden Some, and obscure and all right, that. Right, sure, sure. Somebody said, I don't know who, but that no one goes to heaven alone. Oh, I love that. You know, and yeah. I think that that is, yeah. I think it's a hundred percent true. Yeah. Uh, and I think also it's important to understand anytime, just pulling this back to the practical, anytime I visit a parish <laughs> and their website is old and dreary mm -hmm. and they have nothing going on, mm -hmm. but they're super alive, super holy, super faithful. I know that the priest is a saint. Mm. because there is something to be said for yeah not caring about any of the flash or anything like that but holiness goes a lot further than than those kind of things and here's a direct quote for that the renewed impulse to the mission ad gentes demands holy missionaries it is not enough to update pastoral techniques organize and coordinate ecclesiastical resources or delve more deeply into the biblical and theological foundations of the faith what is needed is encouragement of a new ardor for holiness among missionaries and throughout the christian community especially among those who work closely with missionaries it's not enough to have hip new techniques what we need are souls who are convinced that Christ is the light of the world, who have been set on fire by the power of the Holy Spirit to be holy. I love this. Let us remember the missionary enthusiasm of the first Christian communities. This is what they did. It challenged and changed them. Why would people who, if the gospel is a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, why would that gospel conquer the world? Because of the holiness of the lives of the people who preached it. If you proclaim Christ crucified, and yet and live, you yourself right. live. I mean, like this was why the Albigensians did not convert is because the bishops would show up in 12 uh, carriages with servants aplenty. Right, yeah, and right. these people were living poverty. And then ben, and then uh, Dominic shows up in poverty and he converts them, right? Like that's the thing that I think we don't understand. The corruption of the clergy and the laity who evangelize or hold these roles. This is the first thing that pulls us away uh, converts away from our missionary zeal. All right, Dave, how do we end this bad boy? Oh, you man. gotta go give a talk. I love this document. <laughs> I love it so much. And I think, I think the, the yeah. practical takeaway is look, get back to the soul of the apostolate. Let that be the foundation yeah. on which you build all of your missionary activity. Look at your parish, look at your ministries. Are they oriented towards bringing souls into the Paschal mystery of Jesus Christ? Are you being docile to the Holy spirit? Ask yourself those questions. Yeah, God bless that's you. Awesome. All.
God bless you all. Stay classy. And the next document that we're going to read is Veritatis Splendor. It's 500 times longer than anything we've done, and we only have two episodes. So read through it so we can understand how to disciple others in Christ. 